Well, as you've heard by now, our ministry year theme has been established. It is one word. What is that one word? Abide. My job today, and really over the course of this year, is to demystify that word. Why have we chosen this theme for this year? Let me tell you why. My heart and your pastor's heart, your elders' hearts, are heavy as we think about so many of you that may have been swept away by the hurricane or the wildfire that is 2020. And those who were once connected to our church at some level are no longer connected, or maybe they're connected at a, a looser level. They've become detached to so much of our ministry around here. And I fear for some who may have only had a loose connection to the things of God, may have been swept away forever. You've gotten out of the habit of, of trying to drag yourself to this place on Sunday morning. I know many of you have joined online, and that's fantastic. We put so much effort into trying to connect to you, but it's really a one-way connection. It's hard for you to connect back to us. And as, as much as we try to push the content to you, Without a connection from you on the other side, it's not accomplishing the purpose that church is for. It's so important that we gather together in an abiding relationship with the Lord and with one another. I'm also burdened for a generation of young people that, um, because children's ministry has kind of uh, been set aside, and now we've reopened it, but um, people may have not yet, you know, felt the freedom to come back to church. I'm, I'm fearful that a whole generation of young people may, may never understand the priority of gathering in God's house with God's people to open God's word and hear God speak to us. Um, I'm concerned about our family, and uh, I want to see our family in close, intimate connection with Jesus and with others. Um, people are seemingly more connected and attached to news and social media and political commentary than they've ever been and maybe less connected to a vital, growing, intimate relationship with Jesus than they've ever been. We're trying to reverse that in this season. In the midst of all that is 2020, Jesus is inviting each of us to abide with Him in an intimate, growing, personal relationship that infuses life, that envelops us in His love, that informs us by His Word and ignites an unexplainable joy, all for the glory of God. Now, before we demystify this word abiding, understand everybody in this room, everybody watching online, everybody on the planet is abiding in something. You are connected, you are attached, maybe to so many things that it's hard for you to understand the priority of our attachment, our connection, our union with Christ. And for that reason, Jesus has invited us to abide with him. Did I tell you to open your Bible yet? Fail, fail. Somebody should have drugged me off this platform. Open your Bible to John chapter 15. 
because it is there that we read Jesus' command for each of us to abide. Now, let me set the context up as you're finding your way there. This is right after what we call the Last Supper. Jesus has called his 12 disciples together to celebrate the Passover feast. And in that meeting, he announces that one of them will fall away. One of them will not remain to the end. Of course, we know that was Judas, who proved to be a false disciple that did not have the life of God on the inside of him. Even though he had proximity to Christ, he had never abided in Christ. That's the context in which we read these words. John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. I'm, I, I, don't, I didn't read that right. Let me read verse 2 again. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Verse 4, underline these three words, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that you may, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Ten different times Jesus uses the word abide in these 11 verses. We're going to spend the next seven weeks just unpacking that one word. You thought it took a long time to get through a whole book of the Bible. We're, we're going to spend seven weeks on one word. This word is abide. Now, please understand here that Jesus is borrowing a metaphor. This metaphor is an agricultural metaphor. For those of you that are not farmers, you're more like me. If I need some grapes, I go to Walmart, I fork over $3.98 per pound, and I walk home with a plastic bag full of grapes. Is anybody else in that category of when you consume the grapes, that's how you get them? That was not the way you got grapes back in this context. You had to plant a vineyard, and you had to cultivate the vineyard. 
and this vineyard was something that took a lot of time to cultivate. And the, the, the vineyard is a picture of a, of a, of a life-infused, growing, beautiful place that is the description of what a relationship with God is supposed to be like. And Jesus is actually not coming up with this illustration on his own. One of the things that you're going to learn, how many of you, raise your hand if you've signed up for 100 days. You're going to spend the last 100 days of 2020 reading the Bible. This is the, why we, this is the reason why we're reading it in, we're cramming it into 100 days. Because so much of what you read in John is connected to what you read in Psalms. Jesus is actually giving a commentary on one chapter of Scripture. It's Psalm chapter 80. And in that 80th verse of Psalms, the psalmist is writing about a vineyard that has branches. And the branches are beautiful when they bear fruit, but the branches have been cut off and they've been burned. You see, the, the whole analogy, the whole metaphor is a picture of the people of God, the nation of Israel that had forsaken God. They had stopped abiding in the life of God. They had attached themselves to other distractions, and as a result, enemies had come in. And now the psalmist in chapter 80 is praying that God would bring life back to the people of God so that it would be restored as this beautiful, life-infused vineyard. And in that context, Jesus speaks these words. I am the true vine. And he says, you, my disciples, are the branches. If you bear fruit, you give a picture of a God-glorifying life. We're going to unpack all of this, but just simply understand, Jesus is saying, I supersede the nation of Israel. Jesus has already superseded the temple. He's already superseded the Jewish feasts. He's already proclaimed he's the mediator, the high priest between God and man. And now he's superseding the whole nation of Israel and saying, I am the fulfillment of what God intended the nation of Israel to be. And if you want to be a part of the family of God, it's not enough just to be born genetically, biologically into the family or the nation of Israel. The only way to be connected to God is to be connected to Jesus. The picture is this. Some of you are connected to a Christian church. Some of you were born into a Christian family. Some of you spend time every day in a Christian school. That does not mean you are in Christ. All of us human beings are born into this world outside of Christ. As a matter of fact, the book of Romans, the book of First, uh, Corinthians unpacks this. We are all as human beings born in Adam. Do you know who Adam was? Famous guy. You, 100 days, you're going to read about him. First day, Adam. He was the original human being. God created him, and he forsook God. He didn't abide in the 
garden, a life-giving place. And so as a result, he sinned. All of us now are born in sin. We're born in Adam and outside of Christ. We're all born in Adam, and all of us must be born in Christ if we're going to be a part of the family of God. So those three words that Jesus said in verse 4, abide in me are some of the most critical words in all of Scripture. It connects Old Testament, New Testament. It connects us to God. We're going to unpack those three words. Abide in me. First of all, abide. So, let me just say, abide is kind of an obscure word in the English language. Did anybody use abide many times today or, or throughout the week? You just probably didn't come up in conversation very much, unless you're a criminal. Because if you're a criminal, what you are confessing is... I am not a law-abiding citizen. That's about the only context that we really use the word abide anymore is in, in connection to the law. Are you a law-abiding citizen? You say, well, I kind of hope so. I don't, don't want to be a criminal. I hope you're not. I want you to be a law-abiding citizen. But understand this theologically. None of us have abided by God's law. Only Jesus has abided by the law of God. Because you and I have not been law-abiding citizens, Jesus came and abided by the law so that all of those who abide in Christ are treated as if you had abided by the law. Are you hanging with me yet? I mean, some of the more spiritual people should be throwing out amens. That was good preaching right there, okay? Would you like another shot at that? You want another shot at that? Okay, let me, let me see if I remember what I said. If you, if you want to be treated as if you have abided by the law, you must abide in Christ. Because Jesus abided by the law, all of those who abide in Christ will be treated as if they had abided by the law, even though you are not a God-abiding citizen. Did you get, some of you are just like trying to figure that out. That was just, that was just so good preaching. You have to meditate on that for a while, okay? So anyway, we kind of use that word abiding in, in obscure ways in the English language, but it's so critical when you are reading about our relationship with Christ. So let me just kind of simplify it as best I can. I want I, I spent as much time in a thesaurus this week as I did a Bible, okay? So I wanted, to, I wanted to really bring this home. I just want you to understand three words in relation to the one word, abide. Here's the first. Abide means remain. Abide means remain. It means continue. It means stay put. It means persist. It means don't wander. Don't go anywhere. Don't run off. Stay right where you were put. That's what it means, and that's what Jesus is saying this. Now, do you understand that better in light of the fact that Judas, one of the twelve, had just wandered off? Jesus is looking at the remaining 11. 
And he's telling them, don't you go anywhere. Don't you follow Judas. Abide. Remain. Stay put. Don't wander off. Now, understand that technically speaking, it is impossible, theologically, for those who are abiding in Christ, it is impossible to not abide in Christ. You say, well, then why did Jesus say abide? This is the way that the connection works. And this is what we would say. Reading all of Scripture, understanding that my relationship with Christ is secure, not because of my ability to abide, but because of Christ's ability to abide. Our connection to Christ is not dependent upon my ability to remain faithful. My connection to Christ is connected to the ability of Christ to remain faithful. Do you see what he said? Abide in me as I abide in you. Jesus has no problem abiding in me. He's got absolute perfect ability to do that. And yet because of that, he invites me to value the importance, the primary importance of abiding in Christ. It, we're, you know the old hymn um, with the lyric, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to, what? Leave the God I love. What Jesus is saying is, all of us have a tendency for our hearts and our minds to wander off into secondary things. What Jesus is saying, because your soul is connected to me, do not let your mind, do not let your heart get distracted with everything else that is trying to compete for it. Understand the importance of the connection we have in Christ. Jesus says, by doing this, you prove to be my disciples. So if you wander off permanently and finally, you are proving, like Judas, you weren't ever connected to the vine. You were cut off. And the scripture says, the sad reality is those people will be forever, finally lost. Jesus even mentions the burning as if it was worthless. It was lost. That's not what Jesus wants for each of us. If you are in Christ, then value the importance of cultivating this life with Christ. So th- this word remains, it needs, it needs some modifiers. So let's, let's throw some modifiers on here so that we can understand. First of all, he's trying to tell us, remain close. When Jesus initiates a relationship with a human being, the invitation sounds like this. Come to me. Follow me. Each disciple in Scripture got that invitation. He's invited you. Some of you can remember when God started stirring your heart, and if that relationship hasn't been initiated already, I trust that even right now you are hearing the Spirit of Christ speak to your soul, saying, come to me, attach yourself to me, connect to me, follow me. But just as urgently as Christ says that initially to us, He continues to call us every day. And the words are these, abide in me. 
come close to me. Do you understand now why abide is a very critical message in the season that we are living in? Why? Because every media message you've heard in 2020 is what? Distance. Don't get close. It's dangerous. You might catch something. Jesus says exactly the opposite to his disciples. He's saying this, come close. It's dangerous for you to distance. It's dangerous for you to wander off. You might catch something out there. Stay close. Come closer. Cultivate the intimacy with Christ. So remain close. Secondly, this, remain dependent. Stay aware of your need for grace. Raise your hand if you need any grace. Raise your hand if you need any mercy. Raise your hand if you sinned this week. I'm just taking notes. All right, good. All right, so listen, if you sinned this week, you need Christ this week. You need to understand how dependent you are on the grace of God. Jesus says, come on, there's free access. Everything that you need has already been supplied. Do you remember how um, our family started 2020? Do you remember I, I forsook you for three months? Um, actually, the elders sent me away on a sabbatical. Uh, I must have looked tired, and so they said, get out of here, go rest, and enjoy some time by yourself and your family. So we spent January, February, and March in a secluded, undisclosed location in a warm weather climate. And um, in this warm weather climate, um, Andrea, she's always challenging me. She's like, you need a hobby. People ask me sometimes, what do you do besides preach? I'm, I'm really good at watching football. Um, I ride my bike sometimes. That's, that's about it. I've got this really boring life. She says, you need a hobby. And so I found something that, that I could do, and um, I studied real hard, and I got my underwater diving scuba certification. Is there anybody else in the room that's certified in scuba? How many people can survive underwater? I can tell. All right, look, at this. there's like four of us here, and I could have picked those three. I, I knew it. I could just tell. You could just stand out in a crowd. So anyway, um, I don't remember a lot of the like 50 hours of training that I had to go through in order to do this, but I did, I did learn this. In order for me to abide in water, there must be air abiding in lungs. And there's only one rule that you need to survive. It's this. Don't stop breathing. That's it. I'm like, that's the same rule for abiding above water, isn't it? It's like, you just keep breathing, right? You, just, you, you are dependent on air. Now, when you're underwater, you're dependent upon a tank of air. And you're never supposed to hold your breath. And I thought how much that um, parallels the Christian life and what it means to abide. It, some people have this crazy idea that when you come to Jesus, it's like you just take in this big breath. And you hold your breath for the next 45 years. You just kind of live on that breath and you just, you just kind of don't move, right? No. An abiding relationship with Jesus depends on you continually to keep breathing him in. Understand, you are just as dependent upon Jesus today as you have ever been. And you are as dependent upon Jesus for survival 
as I am underwater on air. So remain dependent. Thirdly, remain repentant. Every time we sin, we go back to the gospel, and the gospel calls me to repent and believe. That's why we're a gospel-centered church, is we have to preach the gospel to ourselves. And gospel is simply this, repent and believe, because Jesus supplied everything we need on the cross for forgiveness of sin. Remain passionate. Don't scale back your intensity, the hunger that you once had for Christ. Remain hungry, remain desperate, remain passionately in love with Jesus, and then remain focused. There's another reason that Jesus told his disciples to remain, to abide. You see, not only had Judas just left them, and in that context, he's like, don't you go anywhere. Do you know what the second reality was? Jesus was getting ready to leave them. It's, you know, you you could just see Peter sticking his foot in his mouth like, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me to stay, but you're leaving? How's that work? And I think one of them is like, we want to go where you're going. He's like, no, 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 no. You're going to get a helper. You're going to get a Holy Spirit. You're going to be fine. But in order for you to get the Holy Spirit, I have to leave. And do you understand the power of what Jesus is saying? Just because I'm about to be seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven doesn't mean you have to take one step back. You can go forward. And you understand in 2,000 years later, the, the disciples of Jesus that are gathered here have just as much access to Jesus as those first century disciples had. And because they remained faithful, you and I must remain faithful as well. It was like, well, they had it easy. They had Jesus. Easy? Have you read the book of Acts? Listen, they would have thought 2020 was a cakewalk compared to what they had to endure in the first century. They remained. We must remain as well. You know, last year's theme, anybody remember last year's theme? That was like last week. Remember last year's theme? Take a step. This year, it's more like take a seat. Okay? Just don't go anywhere. You have access to the presence of Jesus, and we must cultivate this relationship. So, demystifying this word involves remaining and abiding. Secondly, means to unite. Here are some other words, because I had my thesaurus open this week. It means to connect. It means to attach. It means to anchor. It means to grip. It means to tether. Do you understand? Jesus is inviting us into a vital union. If you properly understand, your breath should be taken away with what I'm about to say. You, in Christ, have been united to God. Is it possible that a dirty, rotten sinner can be in union with a perfectly holy, majestic, all-powerful God without being incinerated? 
That's what we have in Christ. We have been connected to him. We have been attached to him. We've been anchored to him. We have been gripped by him. We've been tethered to him. I, again, I was just trying to make this as simple as possible. Um, how many of you were the shortest person in your class in elementary school? Raise your hand. Micah raised his hand earlier. I'm raising my hand. Who are, you were the shortest person. And how many of you were introduced to this horrible game on the playground called tetherball? Do you remember the pole? Do you remember the rope and the soccer ball on the other end? And do you remember how the tall children in the class would persecute you relentlessly with the tether ball? Do you remember? I mean, it seemed like a really nice game where, you know, you just have to wrap the ball with the rope around the thing. And you can picture this thing just kind of going around. But after a while, the tall kids realized that you could make it go really high on the short end side and really low on the tall kids side. And they could just wrap it around there so quick while you're up there just, you know, trying, you're making you look like a fool. The ball is tethered to the pole with a rope. To be tethered to Jesus means that there is a permanent connection to Him. Are you tethered to Jesus in 2020 when every time we look on the news, something has whacked the ball? And it's going around so fast, and you're just like, you feel like the ball. The tall kid's just knocking you, and, it's go, and you're wrapped, you're, just, you're tangled. It's just like, what is going on? And Jesus simply says, in the midst of all of that, abide in me. The rope's never going to snap. Nobody's ever going to hit the ball too hard as long as you are connected to me. You know, we, we use a lot of different terms to describe a personal relationship with Jesus. Have you ever had somebody ask you, like, there's, there's nothing wrong with the question, but do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? That, that's not a bad question, but do you realize that everybody has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? doesn't necessarily mean you're going to heaven. It's just Jesus knows personally everybody. And you might have a personal relationship with Christ that ends up in judgment. What's the best term to use when we're talking about our relationship with Jesus? A very simple term that we use a lot of times is just saved. Have you been saved? Am I saved? That's good. Nothing wrong with that. But it, it's kind of lost its meaning because we overuse it so much. Uh, more theological people would use words like justified or regenerated. I like to use those words because there's a depth of theological meaning in those. Um, some people may say, well, I'm just a follower of Jesus. That's great. That's what a disciple does. He's a follower of Jesus. Um, other people would... Um, use the term of committed, I'm committed to Jesus, but really how committed are you? I mean, how committed can you be? All, all those different terms are, are, are not bad terms, but they lose so many. Hey, maybe the most descriptive word to use for followers of Jesus is this. Followers abide in Jesus. Followers are in union with Jesus. It's so vital that the New Testament writers couldn't get away from using that type of language. Um, Andrew Murray is a, a, a great um, 
theologian, lived about 150 years ago, and because he didn't have Netflix, the only thing he knew how to do was just think about Christ. So he wrote a lot about this whole relationship. This is one of the things that, that Andrew Murray said about the abiding relationship. He says, the whole Christian life depends on the clear consciousness of our position in Christ. Most essential to abiding in Christ is the daily renewal of our faith's assurance, I am in Christ Jesus. And then he says, all fruitful preaching to believers must take this as its starting point. You are in Christ Jesus. Do you know why the weekly gathered worship experience is so critical to abiding in Christ? Because I need someone to preach to me, you are in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, preaching that starts with that is really powerful. And it's really easy. Let, let me demonstrate it for you, okay? You are in Christ Jesus. So stop sinning! See how it just works better when you start with that, right? You are in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven. You are in Christ Jesus. Live sent to the nations and tell them about their opportunity to be in Christ. Jesus. So, if I'm doing my job right, you're doing your job right, here we are on Sunday. But here's the thing. There's six days in between us getting to meet. So you have to become your own preacher. Wake up every morning. Before you check, before you check Facebook, before you check email, before you turn on the news, you've got to preach to yourself. I am in Christ Jesus. That is so vital to our understanding. The union with Christ we have will change our direction. It will create our purpose. It will create a sense of security as we head out into a world that has lost its mind. I am in Christ Jesus. And if you don't remind yourself of the union you have with Christ, there will be a thousand things that are ready to fill the gap that's left when you forget, I am in Christ Jesus. The New Testament has two interchangeable terms to describe this doctrine that we call the union of Christ. We found them here in, uh, in John chapter 15. Jesus said, abide in me as I abide in you. Do you get it? We abide in Christ. Christ abides in us. This is what our minds must be saturated with. Let me show you how the New Testament unfolds this real quick. First of all, we abide in Christ. We start abiding in Christ when we start believing in Christ. Most famous verse in the Bible, what is it? John 3, 16, 
And it simply says this, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you understand? Before you can abide in Christ, you must believe in Christ. And believing is not this vague notion that God is out there somewhere and Jesus lived so long ago. It is placing my life inside of the life of Christ. Believing in Christ puts me in union with Christ. We're being made righteous in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Is there any need that you're going to have that doesn't fit in one of those categories? Wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That's all you need. And so I have all of those things in Christ. We share everything that belongs to Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. We are fellow heirs with Christ. You know what that means? You get everything the Father has given to His Son, you get it all too because you are in Christ. And He, out, he plays it out. He says, provided we suffer with Him. You know what that means? You don't have to suffer alone. You suffer with Him. He's right there in the midst because of His union with you. In order that we may be glorified with Him. We share in His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, His, his glory, and His soon return. Do you understand that this is what baptism is all about? A lot of churches and Christians have a lot of weird ideas about what baptism is. Do you know what baptism is? It's just simply the visible picture of what it means to be immersed in Christ. It's a little scuba dive. If Christ is in you, you are plunged into Him, and you're totally enveloped. That's why you've got to go all the way under. It's because it, it's the picture that we have been immersed in Christ. If you've never been baptized biblically on the right side of your union with Christ, you need to be baptized. I'd love to baptize you next week. We got a new baptistry. We need to see if it leaks. So come, you can be the first one baptized in the new baptistry. Just let us know. Come to the end of the service, talk to a pastor, and we'll get you baptized. If you are in Christ, then you are baptized into Christ in the same way. So we find our whole identity in Christ. Paul was preaching one day to a bunch of unbelievers in Acts chapter 17, and he said this, in Him we live, in Him we move, in Him we have our being. You see the totality of that? We don't move one inch outside of Him. We aren't anything outside of Him. We live, we move, we have our being in Christ. He defines our whole identity. If you're in Christ, you're safe. If you're in Christ, you're supplied. If you're in Christ, you are loved. That's what it means when Jesus says, abide in me. But then He flips it around and says, I abide in you. 
And so Christ abides in us. How does the New Testament play that out? First of all, the life of Christ dwells inside of me. Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Where does Christ live? He lives in me too. He lives in you. He lives in me. You know, we talk a lot about the death of Christ. Christ died on a cross in my place as a substitute for my sin. But he rose victorious, and right now, he lives in me. The life of Christ stabilizes me. Anybody need stability? 2020? Ephesians 3, 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith being rooted and grounded in love like the roots of a tree going deep and the winds blow on the tree the tree doesn't fall over why because christ is in me and i am rooted in christ the life of christ lives through me jesus isn't just housed somewhere inside of my heart he lives in there so he can live through me out there notice this in philippians chapter 2 Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works, where? In you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you know that I am completely incapable of living the life that Jesus has called me to live? The only one who ever lived the Christian life was Jesus. The only hope I have of living the Christian life is for Christ to live the Christian life in and through me. Isn't that good news? It, it deconstructs rule-oriented, performance-oriented religion. All I have to do is abide because Christ is abiding in me. He works through me, and as I yield to him and I'm saturated with him, I'm united with him, and he gets his work done through me. That's why any good work that you do, you don't get any credit for it. It, all the glory goes to Christ. He's the only one that did it. Because apart from Christ, what did Jesus say? You can't do anything. So quit bragging. It's all, it's all the glory to Christ. Here's the third thing that abide means. Not only does it mean remain, not only does it mean unite, it means dwell or nest or settle down. Make yourself at home in means to rest do you remember back in the good old days they used to have these buildings um that had a lot of rooms in them and you could like check in and stay for a while do you remember do you, do you remember when we were allowed to travel and go different places and you could temporarily put your body in a room and then check out the next morning what would they call those i forgot what do they call those Hotels. A hotel is not a place where you dwell. A hotel is a place where you might stay for a night or two, but you dwell in a home. The problem with so many so-called Christians is they want to treat Christ like a hotel. 
maybe one day a week, check in, stay for a while, check out. That is not what it means to abide in Christ. To abide means that Christ is our home. We nest, we settle down in, we become comfortable with, we rest in, we live in, we dwell in, we do life in Christ. So when Christ says abide, he means come home. Stop wandering and start, stop checking in and checking out. It means to make yourself at home in. You say, that sounds like all-encompassing. Yes, it does. Philippians chapter 3 describes that. The Apostle Paul described what that meant when he said this, Indeed, I count everything as loss. In other words, I check out of every other hotel. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found, where? In Him. American Christians seem unwilling to suffer the loss of anything in order to gain Christ and be found in Him. We're afraid of losing our life. We're afraid of losing our freedom. We're afraid of losing our friends. Apostle Paul says, take it all. I want to be found in him. That's the vital union of a true disciple of Christ. And it takes effort. You see the cost involved. I'm willing to lose anything, pay any price. Do you understand that abiding describes the disciplined pursuit of disciples who are passionate about cultivating an intimate relationship with Jesus? Again, Andrew Murray put it this way. He said, There is nothing that moved you to come that doesn't plead with you a thousandfold greater force. Abide in him. You did well to come. You do better to abide who would after seeking the king's palace be content to stand in the door when he is invited in to dwell in the king's presence and to share with him in all the glory of his royal life oh let us enter in and abide and enjoy to the full all the rich supply of His wondrous love that He has prepared for us. Abiding is not passive. And it trips us up, right? Abide just kind of means don't do anything. Just be still. It's like, okay, that's not hard. So is this what I'm supposed to do? Understand, doing this takes a lot of discipline. It means there's a thousand other things that I'm not going to do. An abiding relationship with Jesus is an active pursuit that involves time. It involves daily activity. It involves spiritual discipline to cultivate this relationship with Jesus. 
But what an invitation. Do you understand? No matter how far outside of Christ you have lived, Christ invites you in. He invites you to abide. No matter how far of an outsider you are, you can feel at home in Christ. Christ welcomes us to bring all of your baggage with you. All of your hurt, all of your sin, all of your fear, all of your worry, all of your disappointment, all of your shame. Just bring it all. He'll clean it up. And He will envelop us in peace and forgiveness and rest. Understand this. Before you can abide in Christ, you must first come into Christ. There is an initial entry point into an abiding relationship. Remember what I said earlier. We are all born outside of Christ. We are all born in Adam. We're all born in sin. And there's a point at which we are born again and we come into Christ. And again, you may have spent time in a church, in a Christian family, in a Christian school. My question to you is this. When did you come in to Christ? 2 Corinthians chapter 13 asks that question. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in. Do you like exams? Do you like tests? This is the most important test you'll ever take. Is to examine whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not know this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you. Question is this. Are you in Christ? Is Christ in you? Only two types of people in this room. Let's get gut level honest. There's people here today that are in Christ. You came into Christ through faith and repentance. The moment that you believed, the, the moment that you detached, you unplugged from your sinful self, your sinful life, and you stepped by faith into an abiding relationship with Jesus. And yet, I know that there are people in here that have yet to do that. And here's the main reason why. You think this happens by osmosis. You think that if you come in a church, you're in Christ. You think you're in a Christian family, you're in Christ. It's not the way it happens. There is a decisive moment where we obey the command and respond to the invitation, abide in me. And in order to do that, you have to stop abiding into a, in a thousand other things. I want to invite you to stand right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Don't lose your focus right now. Remain, remain. Don't go off. Don't let your mind and heart wander off. First of all, let me speak to those of you that are Christians. You're in Christ. You can say, I remember a time when I entered in. How you doing? Abiding. Have you wandered off? Have you lost your passion? Have you lost your focus? Have you been so connected to so many other things that your relationship with Christ is way down on your priority list? This is a time to reestablish that abiding relationship. 
and for others of you. The truth is known. You, you may be like Judas. You've been around the things of God. You've been in a church. You've never stepped into Christ. Listen, don't wait another day to step into Christ. He invites you. He welcomes you. He pleads with you in this moment. Come to me. Abide in me. And I will abide in you. By faith, you can open your heart right now and welcome Jesus in. And you can step into an abiding relationship with Christ. Just like a, you enter into a marriage, there are vows exchanged, there's a commitment involved, there's a public declaration. That public declaration is baptism. Where visibly you declare, I'm getting plunged into this water, but symbolically what that's saying is I am saturated in Christ. If you've yet to be baptized, come see one of the pastors here at the end of the service. They're here. We welcome you. We wouldn't twist your arm. I would love to just grab every one of you and say, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Come to Christ now. But we would welcome you to come. You take the step. You come to a pastor and say, today I am stepping into Christ. I need to be baptized. Father, thank you. In Christ, we pray this prayer. In Christ, we wrap our lives around the truth that you are in us. That in Christ, we are supplied. That we are loved. We are forgiven. And God, I pray for my friends right now that there would be within them an urgency to respond. Not just passively float away, but to pursue you with disciplined intention. And for those that have never taken their first step, would you bring them, overcome their fears, overcome the, the embarrassment of saying, I want to be a Christ follower. Thank you for the offer of your abiding presence in us. We pray in Jesus' name.